and welcome to Victims of Fashion, a snag podcast where we celebrate positivity and inclusivity, all while giving the fashion industry the middle finger. My name is Polly Jean Harrison, I am your host, and today this episode is part of a mini-series celebrating our new campaign, Why the Snag Not? So Snag has always been a brand on a mission and this campaign is all about sticking two fingers up to the fashion patriarchy and being unapologetically you however you choose. An ethos that of course we share with gusto over here on Victims of Fashion. So to help us on our journey to change the snagging world and say why the snag not, I'm joined today on the podcast by someone who needs absolutely no introduction but will give her one anyway, the CEO and founder of Snag, Brie. Thank you so much Brie for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to have you here on the podcast Brie. I'm so excited for what we're going to talk about today and learning a little bit more about some of the insights behind snag. Uh, You'll have to forgive me, I do have a little bit of a cold at the moment. It's going in and out as to how husky I am. Uh, But first of all, I know I said that you didn't need an introduction, but it'd be lovely if you gave us a little one anyway, just a little bit about yourself and the snag journey that you've been on. Yeah, no problem. I'm I'm Brie. Um, I run snags. I'm the CEO and I'm the founder. Um, and we've been going now for five years, which just still like is amazing because it's gone by so quickly, but also feels like it's been absolutely forever. Um, and yeah, Snag is my everyday living and breathing 24-7. Amazing. And five years is, you've packed a lot into those five years. Obviously, like now I, I work with Snag, but I, before I was a Snag fan, it's been a very jam-packed five years for you, which is so amazing and so exciting. Um, and the thing I really wanted to talk about today is kind of a lot of the more of, I guess, the like the advocacy work that Snag does in terms of trying to like really shine a spotlight on the issues both within the fashion industry and within society, which is something I know we talk about a lot when it comes to like our social media and when it comes to like the different behind the scenes things at Snag in terms of like what products we launch and things like that. And I know one thing that we talk about a lot is the idea of the fashion patriarchy and kind of how that whole thing is working to just make people feel terrible about themselves at all times but I don't think we've ever actually really gone too far down into what the fashion patriarchy actually is so I think it'd be great just to kick us off if in your own sort of thoughts and words what is the fashion patriarchy? So for me it's about the traditional way that businesses have been run and the way that they don't see their audience so for me it was all um, kind of it all came to a head really when I was in a meeting with someone who is a chairman of one of the, you know, really big fashion brands like High Street, you know, completely like major ones. And like I asked what I thought was like a very sensible question, which was like, why do you merchandise your fat clothes separately from the rest of your clothes? Like, why can't you just be size inclusive? And he said to me, if thin people knew fat people could buy the same clothes as them they wouldn't buy those clothes and I was like what and he was like this is a prevailing this is this is how we think about it major high street like retailer and this is how other retailers think about it as well and it's like at that moment I was like wow like people are making these you know massive decisions for us that we have no control about and you know, when you start to kind of break down, you know, who's in control of the way that we run fashion, it tends to be men, and I'm, I'm not men bashing here, but it does. So it's people who aren't their audience, 
um, who are, you know, who are controlling things and who are making these big decisions around, you know, we're not going to do sizing properly. We're not going to do fitting. We're not going to care about returns. We're not going to care about, you know, where, you know, products were made, how they were made, who was making them, whether they fit or not. And these are all actually strategic business decisions made at the top of organizations that have this terrible impact, not just on us and our self-esteem, but actually on the environment as well. So, you know, the more I go into it, the less the fashion patriarchy is like a concept for talking about, you know, fashion and the way it was to being a very real thing. You know, these are real people who are making these terrible decisions every day that affect all of our lives. Definitely as someone who is fat, it's always astounding to me, especially the amount I've learned now being on the other side of it working for Snag. It's crazy to me how much of a difference there is when there's so many people who are, you know, above a size 16 who are here ready to spend money and just want some nice clothes to wear and that there's so much is against us and it's so upsetting a lot of the time when you learn about it but do you have any other examples uh, you could share of the fashion patriarchy in action yeah i think a, a big one is the amount of you know for everybody right is the amount of clothes that don't fit so the industry average returns rate is 35 percent for some retailers like asos for example it heads up towards 40 or 50 percent because you buy something and it doesn't fit it's not right but all of those clothes, when you send them back, almost all of them, over 70% of them go to the landfill because they can't be resold. So it's like, you know, when you're making a decision like that, you're having this kind of knock-on effect to the environment as well. And for us as people, you're just getting the clothes and you're going, I need to order three sizes because I don't know which one will fit because your sizes are always different. You know, your products are hugely inconsistent. So what else am I supposed to do as a consumer? You know, and then you send the products back, and from their perspective, they're like, "Oh, everybody always sends the products back. We'll have to put them all in landfill." And you're going; these kind of cycles are just really negative. And you know, it's all done from a profit perspective, and it's all done, you know, in a way that means that you know it's it's terrible for everybody apart from you know the like top line bucks of you know the people that are running effectively the fashion patriarchy. And the other one that always really annoys me as well is when you have ethical products and people are charged a premium for them. So, you know, you go to the trouble to produce a product ethically and you go, well, I still need to make a 90% margin on that. So suddenly, you know, your ethical Ecovera leggings are 140 pounds and, you know, you're walking, the business is walking away with a profit of like, you know, a hundred pounds on that product. And they think that's fine. You know, and it's like, I, d I don't think that's fine. Why should you be charged extra because the process is ethical, you know, and why? Because some people are prepared to pay that, you know, the company is just making more and more money as a result of that. It isn't, you know, we're, we're not raising ethical practices across the world. We are, you know, effectively being fleeced by people's desire to have an ethical product. And, you know, it's these kind of things where you really see the fashion patriarchy working and making these kind of terrible decisions that have these big knock-on impacts. And that's just so frustrating. I expect when you were first starting Snag as well and first kind of having that idea to, that you wanted to create Snag as a company, I bet wading into the fashion industry as it, it was, was quite probably quite horrifying in terms of like how you were going to build your company to be better than that and to try and fix things because I imagine it's it's probably quite a daunting task to try and fix everything 
it's, it's really it's really hard i think it's also you know when you see the scale of the problem it's just you know it is really overwhelming but the more you get into it the more you realize it's not hard for it not to be that way you know it's a series of very kind of selfish decisions i guess that lead businesses to run in these ways and you know we don't run like that in snag and you know it's been it's been a hard journey and you know as everyone that works for snag can attest it's not always easy but you know it's not been impossible and i think that's the thing for me is like more brands could do this because it's you know it's it's not that difficult it just requires you know a little bit more caring and a little bit more consideration Absolutely. And why do you think it's still an issue? Because I feel like there's a lot of, I know that there's Snag and there's a couple of other companies who have sort of similar mindsets to Snag out there trying to make a difference. But nine times out of 10, the industry is exactly the same as it was 10 years ago. Like it's still a really difficult place to be a fat person and try and just buy clothes. Because I think it's, you know, that the people are just not minded to change. Do you know what I mean? I think that's really what it is, is, you know, this is work for businesses. They keep doing it in the same way. And also, I think people don't really understand what society actually looks like. And for me, I'm always like, you know, the Snag website should look like when you open the door and you see everyone outside and there's loads of different, you know, ethnicities, genders, shapes, sizes, you know, the world is a very diverse place. But when you look online and you look in magazines and you look on TV, the world isn't a diverse place. And I think people believe what they see, like actually through media and not what they see with their own eyes. And, you know, we get told all the time, you know, your website only has fat people on it. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. Our website has 60% fat people in, which is how many people are fat? Do you know what I mean? 60% of people, if you open your door outside, it's representative of the world, how it is. And that's the way that we should be putting ourselves forward online. But it's it's not what happens. And I think people genuinely still believe, you know, that people with tattoos don't exist, that everyone is really thin, you know, that, you know, the entire country is white. And it's like you, you have this kind of weird prevailing attitude, which has no you know, which, which has no base in reality. And you look at some brands' Instagrams and, you know, I, I think Gymshark's a really interesting one because you never see anyone with coloured hair, you never see anyone with tattoos, you never see any of this kind of, you know, not even size diversity, but just diversity. And it's like people pick and choose the kind of images that they use and those are shaping the way people think. And I think that's why there's no change, right? We We need to be real we need to see the world how it it really is and we need to reflect it back why do you think it's important to do that why is having this diversity across sort of the society and across the industry why is it important for people to see that because otherwise people believe they're wrong right this is this is the big thing that you know i grew up believing i was wrong because i didn't fit in clothes and it never occurred to me until i started snag that the clothes were wrong and i wasn't wrong So we're teaching generations of women that they are wrong because clothes don't fit them or that they should be thinner, they should be smarter, they should be like all of these different things and they shouldn't be them. And it's like, I don't want people to believe that they're wrong anymore. You know, no matter like who you are, you're right, you're you and the rest of the world should be accommodating to you, not the other way around. And it it makes me really sad. And I think you see it particularly with, you know, the, the older 
older generations, you know, and it's like, I was with, you know, someone the other day and sat down to have like a lovely lunch and they were like, at the end of it, oh, I've really overeaten. I need to make sure I go on a diet for the next couple of weeks. And you're like, you don't, you know, you're, you're fine. <laughs> why, why do you feel that way? And you feel that way because that's how you should feel, right? You know, that's, that's how you should feel. If you don't fit in clothes, you should always be wanting to be thinner so you can fit in to clothes. You know, if you have eaten a nice meal, you should have not wanted to do that or you should pay the price of it because you are not okay how you are. And that's, that's not true. Everybody is okay just how they are. I think it's genuinely, it's almost like a trauma response a lot of the time. And it's something that I've definitely noticed in like speaking to other people. And I've noticed in myself as well. Like, like you say, there's loads of times where I think, oh, I've eaten too much. I need to stop doing that. And then I have to catch myself. And so, no, no, you don't have to do that. And I think it's it's really easy as well to have like comparison of yourself in the past. Like often I look at pictures of myself when I was a teenager and think, oh, I used to be so thin and I'm so fat now. And it's like, well, yeah, of course I'm going to be a different size as to what I was when I was a teenager. I was a teenager. It was a long time ago. My metabolism was a lot different then. And I think everyone seems to be in this normalizing way of kind of assuming that the body is just something that should stay exactly the same, which I think is absolutely ridiculous and I was speaking to someone the other day and they reminded me how like even if we all ate exactly the same we all exercised exactly the same and had exactly the same sort of different variables in our life we'd still all be completely different because that's kind of like the beauty of bodies and I think that's something that everyone forgets a lot of the time and we're almost kind of forced to forget as well especially when you think of some of the media that we consume around like bodies and how people look I think so and I think there's also just a fundamental belief that thin is good and fat is bad and it's like we can't keep that belief going because one it's untrue you could be thin for lots of reasons lots of like horrible medical reasons which aren't good at all right and you know, there shouldn't be a kind of moral judgment around your size. And it's very, very hard to like break out of that, you know, and it's like, you can see, you know, the justification that people use and and you were even using justification then, right? You were going, I'm fat, but my metabolism is different. But you know, and it's like, it's okay, you are okay how you are. Do you know what I mean? You, you don't need to be different. There is there is nothing wrong with it. And, you know, there, there's you don't have to blame anything. You don't need to have any excuses. Do you know what I mean? It's it's just how you are. And I've always thought the, um, the interesting thing for me is, you know, all of the BMI studies and our view of like what size is comes from a time when food was extremely scarce you know, and there was no overabundance of food. And we judge ourselves back to that. And it's like, we live in a time of abundance now. What should the human body look like in a time of abundance? Because it's clearly not the same as what a human body should be in a time of scarcity, you know? And it's like, we still compare ourselves to a scarcity body when, you know, that's that's not who we are now. And I think we need to really go through literally everything you know what is what is a normal size that that means nothing anymore you know we know a lot of the kind of medical science around it as well it's hugely um you know hugely negatively biased towards fat people you know and and all of this isn't isn't necessarily true and i think there needs to be a kind of a big readjustment around what is normal now in a time of abundance you know it's because it's different 
you know and, and if you have to starve yourself every day to look a certain way that's because you're modeling times when people had no food to eat and that's that's not what you should be doing you know I do wonder what it's going to be like when sort of my generation and younger sort of start to break through because I feel like a lot of like you say it's all based on old times but also I think a lot of issues kind of come from like generational things like I kind of am self-conscious about my body because my my mother kind of made me a bit self-conscious about my body because she was very self-conscious about her body and and so on and so on going back down the the line of of parentage and so I do wonder now with you know a lot of you know the 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 plus size movement and body positivity and everyone kind of very slowly turning the corner when it comes to what people look like and food and eating and habits and that how how it will look in a few generations time and will these children have the same issues that I did when I was a child because hopefully their parents are going to be a little bit more informed as you say to what normal looks like so I think there is a light at the end of the tunnel and I think it will get better, but I think it is a very slow process because it's been a very slow process so far, right? Like it's it's taken a long time even to get to this point and there's still so far. It is, and I think healing generational trauma, which is what I think we're doing, is is a hard thing to do, you know? It's, it's a really, really difficult thing. But I think the fact that we even know the words now, healing generational trauma, like helps us heal generational trauma. And the fact that people are consciously consciously thinking about it. And I know that, you know, with my, like, I remember one occasion with my mother where she looked at my body and was looking at my stretch marks and she said, you've ruined your body. No one will ever love you now. And like, it was such a profound moment. And I, I genuinely believe that for a long time, I believed I was like entirely unlovable because what I had done to my body, right? Like it was, um, it was a horrific thing to say. And I know she only said that because that was her view of her own body, right? And I guess with time comes, you know, an element of forgiveness as well. But raising, I've got two daughters and raising them, you know, I, I, I never comment about what they eat. I never comment about their bodies because it's their bodies, it's their food, you know, and it's not on someone else to make those kind of judgments or comments on your own body. And I think we know a lot better. And, you know, I'm really psyched to live in a world where you know they grow up without that type of trauma because I think it's going to be absolutely incredible what they achieve also when you've got a generation of women whose literal head thoughts are not just I must lose weight I must be prettier I must lose weight oh my god did I really eat that oh my god I can't eat that later because that's all some people think about it's all I used to think about you know that used to be literally what was in my head 24 7 oh well if I exercise like this tomorrow or I could try this diet or if I only did that or if I did more of these exercises or if I just didn't eat until you know dinner time and if it and it's like it, it just overwhelms your your thought capacity with all of these thoughts where you can't think or do anything else. And I'm, I'm so excited to have a generation of, of kids that don't think that way and can use their actual brains to think about solving important problems and, and not just thinking that they look wrong. They will probably get so much done. I know. Because right? the amount of like headspace head and time I spend thinking about my body, these kids will get so much done. So it's very exciting to think of that. It'd be so much more efficient than we were. It is is really exciting. A hundred percent. So I guess casting your mind back then to five plus years ago, when the idea of of Snag first was forming and you were starting to build the company, what was it that made you go, no, I need to 
not only do I need to like focus on making like great tights that actually fit and then clothes that actually fit, but I need to actually try and change things and help people and highlight the issues that are currently in the industry to everyone else. What was the, what was kind of like the impetus for that? It never really occurred to me to do anything different, you know, like getting to start a clothing brand from scratch. I was like, why wouldn't you do it this way? Do you know what I mean? Why, why, why wouldn't it be done like this? And for me, it's always been, you know, we say a lot at Snag to be extraordinary. You need to be extraordinary. And we try very, very, very hard not to do things the ordinary way. I mean, we, we have the same thing with best practice just means you're as good as everyone else. It doesn't mean you're better. And I think, you know, we try very, very hard to find ways to be better and different all of the time. And I think that's, you know, a lot of it comes from that kind of like ethos. But, you know, we, we were never going to be a normal company that, you know, had all of these kind of compromises they were prepared to make, you know, around their customers and about their product quality. And, you know, we're here to show that you don't have to do that. You can succeed and not make those compromises. Which I think is just amazing and very just, I mean, admirable seems like not a good enough word for it. But I remember when I was uh, sort of like first discovering Snag myself as a customer, it was just so amazing even just to see a fat woman in a picture on Instagram. To me, that was like genuinely such a difference. And I think the thing, how much Snag has helped people. And, you know, we get messages all the time. We get comments all the time. And we get emails all the time about how the different ways that Snag has helped people feel better about themselves. It must be really cool and really, you must feel so proud that something that you have done has done that for so many people. It does make you feel that way. Like every single comment I read or email I read, I'm just like, it, it basically makes me cry because I'm so glad we managed to help you know, as many people as we have. But for me, it's always the, the weighing part of it is how many people we haven't reached yet, you know? And when we did a survey recently, we found out that 98% of people who use Snag products are happier because they have Snag in their lives. And that makes me just go, like, we have to reach everybody else. Do you know what I mean? There's still people who are wearing all black, sitting inside their house, believing that they're not good enough you know, and that they'll never be happy like I used to. And it's like, I, I won't be happy until we've got them all. And like, that's that's probably an impossible goal, but it's it's still my goal. I don't think it's impossible at all. I think Snag has done some impossible things already. It would not surprise me to see Snag take over the world one day. And I guess going back to sort of the fashion patriarchy idea, have you ever found any challenges as a female CEO trying to break into that idea of the fashion patriarchy? Like like you're saying, the boardroom of, of men and all the other different men in the industry. Has that ever brought its own challenges for you? I think not just in the fashion industry but but overall i think female founders and female ceos are very easily overlooked and i think you you get a lot of pressure to you know wouldn't you just like to design the products and you know be in charge of customer happiness um you know wouldn't you you know prefer to have somebody who's a real ceo run the business for you um and you you get lots of these kind of um people who dress it up in a like I mean well kind of way where actually it's it's kind of just you know it's it's kind of just undermining to be honest and I think you know that's 
that's a problem women are going to have in business until you have more women in those authoritative roles, you know, more um, women in P and VC, you've got more women in high roles in businesses and in banks and all of those things until there is more representation, you know, you will, the industry will always see it in a myopic view, which is more centered around men, because that's what they understand, you know, men run good businesses. And, you know, that's, that's their prevailing you know, attitude and, and it's it's not true, but there's not enough evidence yet and not enough people in those positions to to change the tide of it. But, you know, we will, but it, it's not there yet. Mm, it's definitely something, like you say, we see everywhere. And I think, I mean, has anything changed? Have you noticed in the past five years in the industry, do you think people have taken snags lead at all or have there been any other changes in the industry positive or negative I guess I think there's been lots of positive changes and you know you can see more businesses are becoming more size inclusive you can see there's more diversity in advertising and I like to think we've we've forced that in the industry because you know we have been unapologetic when we've done it and we do it a lot and I, and I like to think we've helped normalize pictures of just regular people, you know, as, as adverts. And I think that's a really strong thing. And it makes me really happy um, to see that change. And I think that's that's really good because the more people are confronted with the fact that they don't need to look perfect, I think the, you know, the more chance we have of, of healing all of that trauma happens. So, yeah, I think there's, I think there's been big changes um, around that particularly. I think there's still a lot of institutional um fascism and sexism that you know will take a long time to change but you know you can see you can see that it is changing yeah just it's a slow road i think and i guess this is a very mean question because it's quite a big question but what steps do you think that the fashion industry needs to take and i guess society in general not necessarily limited just fashion but in order to move away from these toxic norms and move away from this fatism and move away from the fashion patriarchy ruining things for everyone and to actually promote a positive environment where everyone can belong what do you think needs to happen in order to get to that point will we ever get to that point i think well, and I, I think it's actually really simple. I think there's there's two kind of points. You know, the first one is do not comment on other people's bodies. You know, like why are you commenting on somebody else's body? Don't do it. You know, it's like it never ends well. Whatever you're gonna say, you know, you 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 don't comment about a whole lot of other things about people. You just don't comment on their bodies. And I think that's a it's a really easy start. And I think the other one is, you know be kind to people, you know, if, if talking to someone in a certain way makes them happy, then do it. What does it cost you for the benefit of them being happy? And I think it's, it's a move, I think, away from selfishness and into, you know, and people that you're interacting with, you know, why make them feel bad, you know, and, and why comment on things that aren't, your place to comment on and it's it's very simple changes that I think we can make you know very quickly as a society but somehow you know nobody would dare comment on somebody's race but somebody's still very happy when they see you walking on the street to go oi fatty 
and you're like, oh, I don't understand what compelled you to say that. Like, I, I just don't, do you know what I mean? It's like, just don't say things like that. And I think as well, when people start not saying it, it starts to fall out of their thought process as well. And just in a very practical way, if it's not something that you can say, it's something that you think less. And as you think less, you know, the attitude shift. And, you know, I don't think it needs to be, you know, a massive, you know, a massive thing, but it's like, just, you know, don't comment on people's bodies and, you know, try and be kind. Like, it's not hard, you know? No, it's not hard at all. I think it's it's just breaking out of that cycle sometimes, isn't it? Because we're so conditioned to think certain things about ourselves and about other people. It's actually the physically stopping yourself sometimes almost going, no, I'm not going to have that thought about my body or that person's body. I'm just going to sit here and and just be happy and that's fine. And it's hard to get into that sometimes. Once you do, it's like the whole world just changes. Like suddenly you just feel so much better about yourself and about everyone else and you're just happier because you're not thinking these horrible negative things all the time. And I think that's it. And I think it's, it's about being quite, you know, you do need to be quite harsh with yourself in terms of, you know, not allowing those thoughts in. And it's like, but it's the best thing you can do for your own mental health, you know? And it's like, don't think those things about yourself. Don't think them about other people. And it's like, it's not your place, you know? And it's like, when you start to, to free your mind of that, you know, and you think about how you can actually make people happier, then surely the world is going to be a happier place, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I guess just to, as a nice ending note, I'd love to have you give some advice to anyone, I guess, looking to enter the fashion industry, start their own clothing business or anything sort of similar. What advice would you give them in terms of challenging these beliefs how would you say for them to make something you know as positive as they can without falling into the usual traps of the fashion patriarchy or any other toxic mindsets that maybe are out there I think it's really just about believing in yourself your proposition and your product right and people constantly will tell you or give you their advice of which you don't have to listen to you know like advice is there because it's advice it's not somebody telling you to do something and you don't have to do what you're told to do and I think once you liberate yourself from that thinking and you know that you understand your customer best and you stick to your guns about what you want for them then you're going to have an amazing experience and I think you don't have to compromise and you don't need to listen to people that have more experience than you or you know say that they understand things better than you if you think you've got product market fit then go for it and, you know, do it in the way that you want to do it because it's all possible, you know. Just don't listen to shitty advice is basically my bit of advice. That's an excellent piece of advice. I love that so much. Well, Brie, thank you so much for joining me today. I have really enjoyed our conversation. I feel like I've learned so much from you. So I hope all our listeners do as well. Um, so just thank you for being here. And also thank you for making Snag in the first place, which is why we're we're here today. So thank you so much for doing such a good interview and all of the stuff you do. You know, it's it's incredible to kind of watch you slowly expose all of the kind of you know the issues that the industry has and and thank you very much for coming to work for snag we really appreciate you oh that's absolutely made my day thank you we hope you enjoyed this episode of victims of fashion if you want to hear more about snag you can head on over to our website snagtights.com where you can also find our online mag victims of fashion or you can find us on instagram and facebook which is at snag tights 
Tune in again next week for even more fantastic discussion from amazing guests on hard-hitting topics that we need to talk about. This podcast was produced by Snag Tights and our podcast music was provided by the podcast host and Elite 2, the Podcast Maker app. Thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. 